Hello, you're listening to the abridged version of Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full-length version of Book Shambles and also get loads of other extra treats and bits and pieces, then why not go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. Anyway, here's the abridged version with loads of really interesting things that were cut out. I mean, there's lots of interesting things you're still going to hear, but some of the things you're missing out on. Hello, producer Trent here, and welcome to Book Shambles. This week, Robin and Josie's guest is the brilliant writer, comedian, actor, podcaster, Jesse Cave. We will get to that chat in a minute, but first, just to say thank you. As always, to our Patreon supporters, if you want to support the Book Shambles podcast, go to patreon.com slash bookshambles and you can subscribe. You will get lots of extra stuff for supporting as well. Extended episodes of this podcast each and every week, plus the exclusive podcast series Tips for Existence and an uncanny hour. Season three of Tips for Existence has started last week. Our first guest on that is Katie Brand. So make sure you sign up and get that. Lots more on the way as well. And just before we start, two important little things to mention. Uh, About seven or eight minutes before the end, I think it is, uh, Robin's microphone lead died. So he had to switch to just the inbuilt microphone on his laptop. So don't worry, there's nothing wrong with your earphones or your headphones or your speakers when uh, Robin's voice quality changes just before the end of the episode. And also to mention that this episode does contain some discussion about sexual assault and death. So that is something to be aware of. With that said, let's get on to today's episode. Here is Josie and Robin and Jessie. I'm so excited about our guest today. Um, I really, um, I feel in a very uh, funny position with uh, with regards to her and her work because I've read the script of one of her shows and still not seen it performed and loved it so deeply. I thought it was so incredible that now I'm like, if I see you perform, what will it be like? Will it be too much for me to see it perform? But um, it, it's Jessie Cave who's written her first novel as well, uh, which is Sunset, which I really loved. And I'm just really happy to like have her here and to talk to her. Also, I don't know why I found it embarrassing to talk about the third person instead of the second person then, because I can see you. But um, yeah, I'm really chuffed that you're on the show. Hi, Jessie, how are you? <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's so sweet, Jessie. I really, really, really don't want you to see me perform ever. <laughs> Thank you. Please don't. I'll only oh, read it. I'll read a transcript after. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I am not a natural. I am not a natural performer, and I should not ever be on a stage again. And actually, I, I think this I... pandemic has made me realise that even more. Are you serious? Um, you can't be serious. I know. I genuinely. I don't have any desire to be on stage and I and I and I only say that because I live with a comedian and he's just been so crushed mm. and I just it made me realize oh he loves it he loves it yeah and I don't and so that's I I don't deserve the opportunity I don't think I think I think people should only be allowed to go and perform again that you know have really missed it See, I think deserve is too, you know, who are we to say what we do and don't deserve and shouldn't, shouldn't do? But that is so interesting to me. And did you find like with writing this novel that you were like, ah, long form writing, it, it, did it feel like something opened up when you did it? Totally. And also I I, I don't do any one thing really. I, I'm, I don't fit in anywhere in any form of life. So 
I just think that um, I was really lucky to be given a chance to write longer form after probably a decade of trying to get scripted stuff off the ground and having just so much rejection. And um, it was just such a relief to suddenly be like, oh, I don't have to. I don't have to pitch this a million times and get yes. rejected a million times. And I don't have to worry about it being a page or half a page or, you know, like concise. And I can go with an idea and write it for 10 pages. And that was just such a relief. So it was almost a re rebellion from that rejection doing this long novel, which I didn't realise it was so long, um, which is slightly embarrassing. But, yeah. No, I think it's at a very reasonable length. Do you? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not flippantly short. Uh, mm. It's not Stalin biography long. It's in that in between thing that someone goes, yeah. "I have got a pretty long journey, and <laughs> this novella is not going to cover it, and this it. biography of Stalin is going to give me sciatica. <laughs> this is the Goldilocks of books." <laughs> yeah, and also don't pride. I'm not. I'm not pretentious about it at all. Like I'm not claiming to be a novelist or a uh, I mean, I don't use very many big words. I I use thesaurus.com a lot, <laughs> um, and it's it's an it's a story, and it's not like I'm not an amazing, eloquent writer or speaker. And but again, I feel I, like I want desperately to intervene and be like, the book is wonderful and it flows so well, and it's so. Uh, I think there's something like that's remarkable about writing something that feels so real and. Uh, engaging straight away and I think like you know to be feeling like you need to have some sort of like high literary pretensions is that absolute bullshit because it feels so they well, I'm, I'm refusing to have you say that you're not these things basically on my show <laughs> well I feel like I feel like I was I've been so badly um put off putting mm -hmm. things out there writing wise because I'm not I don't have a degree and I I don't I've never I don't know I'm not that I don't consider myself even intelligent, really, particularly, I know very little. So I, I kind of wanted to do it almost again as a retaliation to that kind of thought that you have to be this type of person to be a writer of a novel. And I was even embarrassed, even embarrassed calling it a novel, um, which you have to do when you're, you know, trying to get people to buy it to tell them what it is. Because uh, I think the you initial- You could call it a biography of Stalin. <laughs> but I think people are going to be thrown by that. I, I also think, actually, I, I want to just stop you because I think a lot of what you're saying is incredibly common in terms yeah. of that idea of I am not a writer. Where does this fit in? It isn't that because that's what I. Feel and also, it's like, like people like me aren't bright um, enough. Um, and exactly when... the same. When I go to literary festivals, right, every now and again, I stand in the corner and I go, "Well, they're writers over there." They're, 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 yeah, and and so I think it's important that a lot of people realise that, yeah, and some of them really do say I'm a novelist, or well, I've written three biographies of Shelley now, <laughs> and some of them do do that, um, but I think they're crying on the inside. Um, <laughs> but I I I think it's a really common thing to think. I, I I find the same with comedy. I don't know, like every time I've now been doing, well, I say comedy. I've been doing speaking in places for thirty years, and still, I'm not when, having this. You're a comedian, but, it, but no, but it is still. I just think it's an important thing to to mention, which is that you know, calling it imposter, whatever it is, I think is there's a, a very large number of people who feel. I mean, I've spoken to people who are 
you know, like Nobel Prize winners and stuff like that, and they still have a sense that, oh, I shouldn't really got it anyway, and I'm not really proper. And you go, oh, no, 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 that way that you change medical science to make people's lives longer, that it, it deserved it. It deserved a trophy. It did. And but I think it's such an interesting thing what you're saying. That idea that you're not, you're not one thing or the other, and that each thing feels that there should be a different sensation of. Do, do I feel like a novelist now? I've finished the book. It's three hundred and twenty pages long. Is that? A, and I think that's. It's like we we. I think a lot of us expect a sensation that gives you a stamp of of approval, and then go, "Oops, still got my head with me." Hmm. Yeah, and I realised quite early on in writing it and getting the initial book deal thing. Um, oh, whatever I write, it's going to be judged as a Harry Potter actress writes a book. Um, because whatever I do and in, in I mean I'm not I was I was a small part in a film 13 14 years ago but no matter what I do forever is going to have Harry Potter at the beginning of that so I, I and I and I don't think the book is um even though I'm I'm not against chiclet but I I don't think the book is chiclet um and I I, I just had this like nightmare one one night when I was writing it and I woke up and thought oh it's harry potter chiclet it's going to be that's what it's going to be classed as harry potter chiclet so why am i why am i i'm i i i worked so hard on it you know like i it was i really tried my best for two years with it and and when i realized that it was quite liberating because it was like it doesn't matter this is my creation this is my idea i've done it it can be judged as that and that's okay um so yeah i don't know if that was following on from what you said but i i do you know what i mean do you see and um, do you see creativity in quite like a holistic way because i see you as somebody who's always creating but in really really sort of diverse outlets do you sort of see yourself as like a creative person without portfolio yeah i i live quite i just it cleanses my mind and i feel uh whatever I do, it, it's it's helped by doing something creative. Um, it's just, I, I mean, I can't do anything really work-wise unless I start it with drawing or writing down my feelings or whatever. You know, I'm just a cliche of, a, you know, somebody like that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it, what my skill is. I don't, I don't think I have one thing. I'm okay at a lot of things. I'm, mm-hmm. o- I'm only okay, but then I kind of, you know, I hammer at home. <laughs> Did you grow up in quite... Oh, no, you go. No, I was just wondering, so so when you were 14, what were the things that you loved most? So before all the stuff, before the, 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 the action of that, what were the, and I don't mean as in your aspirations, what were the things that, whether it was you read or you watched, or you listened to, or the gist you made, what were the things that this is the best bit of the day? Um, well, I was a tennis player growing up. I was quite... Um, I was like a national tennis player and swimmer. Um so my teenage years were quite delayed as well because I was so competitive and I thought that I would be a tennis player, but then I didn't grow, um, which sounds kind of silly to say, but it meant that suddenly I was told, all oh, right, you're not going to, this, this is, you think you're going to do this, but you're, you're absolutely not. Wow. Um, so which, which made me kind of not really do the things that other teenagers did. And I've always loved like American comedies and, um, I don't know why, but I was I was obsessed with the idea of singing and dancing, even though I can't sing or dance. 
Um, so as almost a reaction to stopping tennis, which was quite, I was always called a tomboy, which I hate that phrase. And I was always, I, you know, I wore huge tracksuits and things like that. And so suddenly when I was told, oh, you can, you don't have, you can do whatever you want now. You don't have to go to train whatever, how many days a week. Um, I started kind of getting obsessed with um, like singers and dancers and stuff. And again, I was so bad at it, which kind of made me realize, oh, I have to be, I have to kind of be funny to, to fit in. Um, so again, I just, I don't know, I just went from one thing to the other. And then I, I typically, when, when you're meant to make the decisions about what you're meant to do, I found that just absolutely terrifying. And I was at um, school and a boy was applying to do an art foundation. And um, he said, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm applying to Kingston. You know, you've got to get the, the, the application in by Monday. And because I fancied him, I spent the entire weekend <laughs> forging a portfolio um, just to see if I could get Which in. And I, it's incredible. And I got in, I got in. I got in. <laughs> and um, he didn't speak to me for the entire art foundation. So that that plan failed. But, he should have been um, so impressed. <laughs> He'd have been like, what, you did this whole fucking thing? Also, can I say so no, many of I my decisions? No, I would say early on, that's not a way to go. I, I would say a later on reveal when you've got true love and it's been going on for years. I'm going to tell you no. a little story. I think going, oh, funny to see you here. Actually, it's not funny. The moment I found out you were coming here, I forged an oh. art portfolio. No, no, Gavin, I'm not saying... Gavin, come back. You don't reveal the motivation. You reveal the incredible thing you've pulled off. And they say, wow, this woman's incredible. And then years down the line, you can say, and of course, I always held the candle to you. But like, that's what, could I just okay, say I so just much? I wanted to make of, that wait, clear for anyone who was going to do so, some form of forgery to find love. So much <laughs> of my motivation up until, well, more recently than I would care to admit was basically, oh, I fancy this person. I should make a magazine for them. You know, <laughs> uh, I should write a show. You know, and it's just very funny looking back because like you did genuinely make all that art and that's yours and that exists. And yet like you, the, yeah. the, the, the catalyst was just some dweeb. Who's yeah, like... oh, totally, totally. And he's changed my life because if I hadn't have done that art foundation, I wouldn't have started thinking, oh, I should do something art wise. And my, my doodles that I do are my like main, my main job. Yeah. So he has like, I mean, that's just, it's, it's just, it's terrifying how one teenage decision can affect your entire life. But yeah. I mean, hopefully there's other things at play too, but yeah. he it, could have wanted to go to an abattoir or something and that could exactly. have been you. Abattoir exactly. college, a lot of people, I don't know if they go to art college or abattoir college. It's definitely one at the beginning of the dictionary of colleges that I'm going to go to. Yeah. So yeah, I, it sounds really, it, it, it's quite, I find it quite scary to look back on because I think I could have probably done loads of different things. And now I'm thinking, oh, have I done the wrong thing constantly? But maybe everyone lives like that. Maybe we've all made the wrong decisions. <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's definitely, I have a theory that like, if you don't have regrets by a certain point in your life, you have not lived life correctly because you, you've got like, you've either not made enough decisions or you've not been bold enough in the decisions you've made. Like sometimes you do. Have, and also sometimes you have to make gloriously bad decisions. Otherwise, how will you ever have regrets, which are wonderful, you know? <laughs> no, I'm just being silly. But like- I like, like that theory. <laughs> but I do think everyone, uh, you should have things you regret because mm. it shows that you've tried a path and it shows that you've 
been human and fragile and stuff like that. Yeah. But I find it really like beautiful how close you and your sister and your mum are in terms of the art that you all make together. And like, is that relatively recent that that's been the case then? Well, no, again, my, well, yes, my sister's 10 years younger. Um, and she, so as a teenage, when she was like 13 and I had not worked after doing Harry Potter. So I, I like literally tumbleweed after I did Harry Potter. And I was like, well, so I went back to art school, did an illustration degree and like didn't finish it obviously. Um, and started making YouTube videos and BB was the only person available and free and she was 13. And so I started making YouTube videos but with not because I thought she was incredibly talented. I just thought, <laughs> oh, she's my sister, she's gonna do this. And so she's just been my, I've just used it and she, she does happen to be very good and we do happen to, and, and I've just continued to use her in every single thing I do. And then my mum just was, you know, helped us. So it's not like I'm choosing to be, it's just something that's just been very natural. So it wasn't like a family plan. It was like the opposite. It was like, right, no, you no, do. No, not at all. Not at all. My mum is so embarrassed, I think, that I'm doing, like, she comes to almost every single one of my sh shows and she knows I'm not a performer and stuff. And she just finds it so embarrassing, the whole thing that I'm doing this, but she's like, oh God, I've got to go, got to go on tour. Because <laughs> so, you know, she's just so can't believe this is what we're doing. But she, how does she feel? Because I, I really like the way that you can be so open on stage. You talk about things that are really vulnerable and you talk about a lot of personal stuff. Like, how does she feel about things like that? Like to do with sex and stuff like that? Like, how has she reacted? She's a, she's amazing at it. I mean, she always reacts quite like massively the first time I say <laughs> something. Um, like back to when I told her I was pregnant after a one night stand, she went, oh, fucking hell. And then she rang me back like two minutes later and she was like, oh, actually, this is this is great. This is good. This is good. And same thing with shows when I've written about like, you know, in Sunrise, I write about um, being raped at 15 by my tennis coach. And she that was obviously an awful thing to have happened for, for a mother. Um, and I and that's not what the show is about at all. It's about me being OK and also me bumping into somebody that went out with the man who rates me. So it's not about the rape itself, it's about just this coincidence. And it's about how I handle that that chance meeting. And when I told my mum oh, I'm gonna be writing about, you know, the, the rape, it's a bit, I, I don't know whether I should. Um, she was like, no, you should, because it will, it might help people show that you're okay. That, that And this happened. And that's that was really nice. So she's really supportive and, um, she's very she's a really good critic really good um so i'm very lucky and i think that's probably why i've used so few people in everything i do i don't really involve I, like the idea of having a director even was a is a really new phenomenon to me um I, because i don't i feel like oh my i've got my mum and my sister so i don't don't need anyone now that i've had directors i'm like oh <laughs> maybe I should have done this before <laughs> it's always I had that with stand-up where I've occasionally had friends who like give me notes and then a friend of mine was like right I'm we're going to have proper directing sessions on the last show and he literally like moved some things around and talked about the structure in this way that I was like yeah I should, should have been doing this for 10 years really uh some uh, some howlers uh, have been released it's yeah but also yeah it makes sense because you're like I got my cottage industry 
they'll tell me what's going on. And then, I mean, they're not playwrights, they're not dramaturgs, but they know what they're doing, you know. <laughs> it's good. But even with the book, I was so worried about the showing it to anybody. So the publisher, I didn't want to show the publisher first. I was like, BB is reading this first. Wow. BB will give me, you know, the right steer. Um, and so she did the first edit with me and was like, okay, you, you can't use grammar. <laughs> and, well, you know what I mean? She was, she was just like, okay, this is, this is the right word there. You've you used the wrong word or and it sounds so basic. And it was so funny when we were, when we were like in the throes of like getting the first draft in, I was just looking at my little sister helping me with a novel. And I just felt like, just like, this is so stupid. <laughs> But it was great because it meant that I was confident enough to show it to the, the publisher. And then, so it was like a pre-first draft. draft. Um, so I just, otherwise I just feel incredibly exposed, um, which I know you should feel in creative things, but I, it, was, it was such a new venture for me. I was like, I need to just show the family first. Well, that makes sense as well, because there's exposed in terms of what you're putting out there and there's exposed in terms of things you didn't want to put out there. You don't necessarily want a certain spelling mistake or certain whatever, you know. Obviously, yeah. that's too basic for anything, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. You, you so want to at least feel like I've chosen what this is. Here you go. But that must be what it's like with collaborators. Like, I've never had a collaborator, but that must be what it's like. It must just be, okay, you can see me completely, ex like, naked creatively. No one else can. So it must be that's quite must be lovely to be part of a, you know, a collaborative creative thing. Yeah, I, I think it's when mentioning the grammar thing. I think that's another one that I would underline that the number of people I've met who have no idea. I don't. I'm ter I still don't know how to punctuate anything. I have. I literally. And this is what I once you open up about it because I think it's a guilty secret that people think I'm the only one, and I just eventually go. I'd have probably paused then, so I'll put a comma there. Literally the way that I... And because I speak without punctuation, that's how I... And I think there's... And once I start right, loads of people going, yeah, yeah, and word oh, blindness, and not coming up with a word, and no idea what that is. How, how do you even... What even punctuation is that? You just pop Semicolons. Yeah, Semicolons. I got so a lesson. So much of it is made up. It's not all Lynn Truss. You know, all these books that come oh. out that are really angry about people that can't punctuate properly. Such fucking yeah, Richard Feynman won a Nobel Prize. Okay, fair enough, it's for physics. But he, he didn't care. He was like, do you know what? If as long as, The most important thing is, can they get your meaning? Now, sometimes a meaning does entirely change, but more often than not, it doesn't. It's just a thing in the wrong place, and someone's still got, oh, do you know what? I just read Jesse's book, and I saw all the images, and all of those things were there, and I didn't find myself going, colon, semicolon. Well, the picture's gone, you know. And if you <laughs> yeah. are, you don't read these books. Yeah. Good, thank you. Hello, sorry to disturb the conversation. Just to say, you are listening to the abridged version of Josie and Robin's book shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version, then you can support us via Patreon and get all of the other bits of tittle-tattle that dropped out of our mouth. Well, it's so hard to talk about because I... I just get in the short. It's a good. I've never done this. I've never said what it is, but it's about two sisters who are incredibly close. Um, one is quite um, sociable and lively and radiant and hardworking and efficient, and the other is her. The little sister is kind of 
her lifeboat is the big sister, mm-hmm. but the um, the big sister dies quite traumatically. And it's about finding Ruth, the younger sister. Uh, you know, she doesn't know what the fuck she's going to do. Um, so she takes a job and at Heathrow Airport, which is so basically the sisters used to go on holiday together. Um, and so she goes back to Heathrow because it's the last place that she kind of felt like that was their place. Um, and so it's about her working at this airport and finding her feet again. But it's also, it's not like there's no end, there's no tidy ending with it because it's just, it's, it's irretrievable, the situation. Her life is now over. And I think that's something people don't really talk about with grief. And I lost my brother two years ago. Um, and I'm one of five. So, and also I find that really weird to say, because I, I like, I'm one of four now, but I'm I'm always going to be one of five. And um, no one quite understands. It's really a particular type of grief, sibling loss, that I, when I was, when I was given this opportunity to write a book and I was basically told by my publisher, like, write whatever you want, which was so scary because my brother had just died and I was like, well, what the fuck am I going to write about if I'm not going to write about death? Like, I, there's just no way. And um, Bibi, my sister, is, is my best friend. I'm the big sister, she's the little sister. And I just thought, okay, I, I need to just write about what I know, but I didn't want to write about us because that would have just, I would, I don't think I, I will ever be okay enough to write about Ben, but it was the, the closest thing I could do to, I don't know, talking honestly about my loss in a shrouded kind of messy way. And I don't know that when I was writing it though, when I was, when it first happened um, to us, I, I did, the first thing I did was look for things to read. Like within a day, I was looking for things to read and they were all books about death in different ways, but nothing, I, I could find nothing that I, that helped me. And I'm not saying this book is going to help people. That's really fucking arrogant, but that at least it's a book about this particular type of loss, Mm -hmm. which is a traumatic, sudden, instant, awful loss, um, which isn't really widely available (laughs) um, to get on, you know, in bookshops. So hopefully it is a a mixture of all of these things. I think it really is. What I found so like profound about it was the fact that it felt really, real and really vulnerable when it discussed how the character reacted how she felt and it was messy and it wasn't like good behavior good it it, it was sort of it felt really honest and really true and like it's inc- it's incredibly sad and beautiful and again i thought it was such a beautiful love letter to kind of siblings and to that closeness and, and, and the bond of it, the way it was written was so incredibly loving. Um, and I, I I also, I liked it as a kind of coming of age novel where this person did kind of, did, did get themselves together somewhat, but like you say, it's still, 
It's not like at the end they could ever be like, and then I started a calf and everything was fine, you know, like, of course. Yeah. Um, how was the process of writing it? Did you find it to be therapeutic? Like that to me was such a hard <laughs> thing. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't find it therapeutic at all. I don't like, I do like writing. I think I'm still quite like traumatized by the writing process, but I find it addictive, which is obviously what why everyone keeps writing. Um, but I definitely had to. Um... <laughs> the first draft was just horrible to write, like horrible, because it was more like, right, just get it out there, get everything there, and yeah. then, and then, and also the biggest mistake. I made, which I won't do again if I write another book, which I, I'm too traumatized to do for a while. But if I did it again, I would have edited as I go. I didn't do that. And that's stupid because I thought, oh no, but novelists must just write and never stop. And like, wow. you know, the idea is just sweeping them away and they can't have, they don't have time to edit as they go. When that was the stupidest thing I could have done because my brain was all over the place. So I should have every day like looked back at what I've written whereas the first draft so the second draft was like okay undo everything and so it was just a complete learning process the whole thing and at the, as I was writing I was reading avidly all of these books on death so the second draft was me finding you know actually out how to write and then oh my god it was just so hard it was so hard and no one talks about people do talk about how you know obviously writing is very hard but like it was tr it was horrible it was a horrible 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 process <laughs> it was just a nightmare <laughs> and 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 yeah I, I would love to do it again so we I'm just obviously mad um but yeah it was it was really cathartic obviously and I hate that kind of people when they say oh I loved writing that it was so good for me it was like therapy I, I don't, you know, I do, I definitely do that, but I don't really like to admit that publicly. Um, so, and, and also there's just no way I would be able to write it again now. So, you know, I think people think I'm slightly crazy because I do use personal life and then immediately turn it into something, uh, whether that be a drawing or, a, you know, an Edinburgh show or, you know, an attempted failed sitcom or now a novel. Um, but it was so liberating for me because it is fiction based in truth. And um, that's so it was it was just incredibly. I feel like I, I did. I did literally go through this as Ruth is going through this, um, which was quite helpful. And I did look at I'm, I'm, I'm still, you know, finishing things to it, which is just that's crazy because it's been so long and it's it's almost, you know, it's. It's out in June, but I'm I, only last week did I finalise things. And um, I just don't recognise the person who wrote it at mm -hmm. all. Um, so it does, that's quite hopeful, I think, for people because I, I am a lot better. And um, I do see hope now in my future. I mean, and I do see light and I my life isn't ruined. And I think I genuinely think people th assume that when something like this happens to a family, you're ruined. And because they're just so terrified it's gonna happen to them. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, 
oh, they're ruined. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. <laughs> don't, 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 don't acknowledge that this has happened to them. Just keep going on, keep going on, and then it won't happen to us. Yeah. But um, if you actually confront it and you do look at them, you'll see that they're still finding things joyful and they're still able to go about their day and they're still able to, you know, live. Mm. And that's what I really wanted to try and achieve. Well, I think in the book, there's so many places that are full of like little funny details, little observations, little comedic, um, just it's got the sort of a little stand up part to it as well. And I think that's so important as well when you're writing about the worst possible things that like, well, I'm, I know we talked about this last week, Robin, I, this is like one of my favourite things is to be like, in the worst of things of life, you're still like exchanging a look with a friend or like fixating on something inappropriate or getting distracted by a detail, you know, it's not, it's not ever that life is just this one note. It, it would be, you know, it's always that there's these other things going on. Yeah, and I definitely, I just, I, I'm appreciating that so much more now with time. And I really, also I think writing this book during heavy grief, new grief, then being pregnant, then a pandemic. Mm. Uh, it's <laughs> not easy with, circumstances. Then with a newborn. Um, <laughs> It's been my <laughs> What's your next plans? Are you gonna be just on Everest? Like, what the fuck? It's just, I mean, I was horrible. I was a horrible person. <laughs> really... Yeah, fair enough, mate. I know, but it wasn't was it worth it? Was it worth it? I mean I don't know. We'll see. It... We'll see how we'll, we'll see how badly it does in them on that. Well, what, what was your worst bit? What did you hate most about writing? Um, what I did hate most was going through a draft, which I had passed. I thought, okay, I'll go through this draft. You know, it must be better than I remember. And then going through it and literally having to change everything. Um, paragraph by paragraph thinking, well, I thought that was good. Now it's shit. Undo, undo, undo. And I almost had to really I had to rein that in because otherwise it would never have been finished and I I it got to the point probably in January where the book had now been sent off um it as pdfs to people which is just terrifying and um and I had I had like a week where I was told no this your final draft has to be in now and um I had to just really control myself and, 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 and I find that really difficult. I could have kept editing forever, I think. And I, that's awful. Cause there's just like, there's no point. It's only going to be a little bit better. Like, yeah, you could use that word. No, I just, I, I, because we seem to talk, cause some people love that process of type, 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 and absolutely loathe uh, the editing process, that bit of having to keep going back. And I, I think most of the people that are, you know, people I trust are like that. I don't, I'm not sure I trust people who really enjoy the editing process so much. There's something to, but other people go, Oh, that's what I delight in, you know, and that's uh, finding a new semicolon. <laughs> and that, so that, so you, the actual writing of it was that, was that, you know, just a here, here it comes and here is the story and here are these people. Did you enjoy that part? yeah I did but um it was just I did write with a slight plan 
but I, I, I also thought, oh, I'm not going to be one of those people that writes and then they just get, they get taken away with a new idea and then they suddenly go this, you know, this character does that. Um, I thought, oh, that won't happen to me. Um, that, you know, that's obviously just a, like a, you know, a myth, but it really did. And that was quite amazing because I would like wake up and think, oh, that's what the character should do or that's what, and that was like, oh God, this is, I, I'm such a cliche. Um, but it was quite nice that because, yeah, I did trust myself to just let those things happen. And, but I, I do enjoy editing to a certain extent because I do really value, I just can't believe how things can be made so much better with arrangement. Just putting a paragraph down here when it, when it was up here or moving that line to the top or whatever, it makes such a difference. And I really appreciate that in reading other people's work when I'm like, oh, this, is, this has been transformed because it's just, it's, it's, it's so much more enjoyable because it's really been thought about placement, the, the placement of this word here or this paragraph here and the repetition of this bit here and here. So I, I really enjoyed that part of it too. Um, that kind of thing makes me feel physically sick. And I, I like having to take a paragraph, cut it and move it, that moving, I'm like, oh, <laughs> and then I when it's agree. done and, and oh. then, so, is everything else broke if yes. I it out, this e is Jenga is this anno yeah, uh, uh, yeah it, it's, it's like it's like not having enough room in a small kitchen and suddenly you oh. need to put paprika as well and the, oh, everything's all over the shop and yeah. everything's going to fall and now it's burnt because I couldn't stir it because I couldn't reach the thing with the spoon that's how I feel about it Yeah, but when it works, oh my god and lots yeah. of paprika. Thank heavens for that. It was worth it. It is meant to be caramelised, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> That's why I tried to write it in quite short chapters because I thought, okay, then I just do it chapter by chapter and do the structure in each chapter the way I want it to be rather than this, you know, if there's a long chapter, it would have been just so much more tricky. Um, so it's not really, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't, it was just easier for me to do it in very short chapters when actually probably it would have been, I think more sophisticated writers write longer chapters. <laughs> ah, but then my favorite, like Kurt Vonnegut, who I love, never, ever, ever writes a long chapter. Everything is concise. Did you mm. think of it dramatically when you were writing it? Were you like, think of it as a series of scenes? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think I, cause I'm, it sounds, I don't know why I always, I always say this, but I think I'm a very visual person. I need to <laughs> see things on paper and how they look before I can really, you know, write them. Um, even when I was playing tennis, I remember the coach, all the coaches would always like get annoyed at me because whenever they would explain an exercise or a drill we were doing, they, I, would have to, I would have to see them do it. Um, whereas everyone else could just like listen to the instructions and I've never been able to do anything other than just seeing a picture first so when I thought about writing this I had to, I really did see it before I started writing it um so yeah but then again I really don't like description in books very much I'm not um okay. I'm not a very visual I, I don't like long descriptions of you know landscape or mm -hmm. weather or um outfits i'm not i i don't enjoy that at all so mm. it was quite difficult because i had to um like not just assume the reader would see this character like i see her or this storage unit like i see the storage unit because and i would have to be like when bb first read it she was like you need to 
you need to add a line in here about what it looks like because you're just assuming that so I'd be like well that's so boring okay fine I'll is it because are you most interested in people like what do you feel you're most interested in as a writer totally tiny little details tiny moments Mm -hmm. um I'm not at all interested in in big uh scenes or Mm -hmm. uh I don't know. Yeah, it's just about tiny little bits of communication I'm most interested in. Well, that's that's what's so cool about the book, actually, because this big dramatic thing does happen in it. But it's not like an action film where then she takes the ashes on a train. You know, it is then about, right, and she just has to keep on going in yes. life, in daily yes. life, going to work, putting on a uniform, etc. And I think that really, like, yeah, that felt so real about it, you know, after this big dramatic thing. Good, yeah. I, I, sorry. No, you go. No, I, I just wondered if there was, because you were going through so much to, 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 to go through the grief and then also then to be pregnant and to get a sense of, did you ever find yourself finishing a day in writing thinking, my mind is so far from who this person was when I wrote this piece yesterday that I'm not writing the same person? I just wondered, because that, that, that continuity seems to be an incredible achievement with everything that was going on. That was something I had to really watch when I was doing the edits to check that it was the same person. So I did have to go and rewrite the entire beginning, which was, <laughs> I keep using the word horrible, but it was really horrible. That's was really brutal. Horrible. Um, I did because I was like, okay, that was me too heavy and what I was going through rather than what the character would have been going through eight months later um so I did have to really watch that I also my I don't write for very long when I do write because of time constraints um so I was never that far away from like I would never have a whole day writing which sounds ridiculous but I would I I have an hour here and an hour there I wouldn't have spent a day writing 50 pages kind of thing, like writing in this, this in this mood. That's so interesting that that was your, um, that that was how you were able to write it. Like working around childcare and stuff. Totally. Well, most of it was done when I was like pregnant. And um, and then when I was doing lots of the edits, I had the newborn baby, which actually, was actually great because they sleep a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we should. I, I think that is the alarm there, which says that the last time the last time we had a baby on the show was uh, Alice Lowe's. We were actually in a studio, and uh, that child ate quite a lot of my James Baldwin book. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, uh, Josie. It was a, delicious, a, a James Baldwin book that was so delicious. Notes for Native Son, but uh, uh, it was partly consumed. Oh, but we haven't got to ask you about books that you love. So, just can you give us like maybe? He's fine, your- he's fine. Maybe your Sorry. two favourite books. But the last thing we'll ask you, your, what have been one or two books that you've really, really loved and that you've most recently most enjoyed? Okay. I had, to, I had to think about this because, like I said, a lot of the books that I have read in the last two years have been heavily based on death yeah. and a lot of um, memoirs. And so it'd be wrong for me not to choose one of them. And then another one was one I just picked up um don't know who recommended it to me but the first one is is the trick the trick of time or the trick to time by kit dewall oh which is yeah she's she's i just i'm not she's a writer that like i've never read before but i know she's very successful but the book is just so beautiful because 
it's about it crosses two time zones between her as a young woman and then her as an uh not elderly but like older woman and um it's all about she creates as a, um, a secret business she creates dolls for people and you don't quite know why and um it, it goes back to her as a young woman being engaged and getting married and getting pregnant and then having a stillborn baby and then you realize that the reason she's creating dolls now is because she's trying to create the weight of particular babies for women who've lost babies oh. and then you find out this whole story about how she got into doing that and how she handled her grief and it's beautiful so that one is quite death heavy um it's really really good and it's the only books don't often stay with me like I really freeze when I'm asked what I like because I'm like I kind of liked a lot I kind yeah. of liked it but I don't know what I really liked um and also I do read a lot but then whenever anyone asks me I'm like well, oh, okay let me just find my my eye notes so now I've only started keeping eye notes because people ask me what I like so I've got to make a list um and then the other book which is very death heavy and it's a memoir is called oh my god you it's just it's so moving it's impossible not to just it's just it's impossible not to cry reading it um it's called once more we saw stars and um it's called I think it's by Jason Greengrass He's an American and it's a memoir, but it's really well, really, really, really well written. And it's um, it's about him losing his two year old daughter and it's just horrendous. It's a chance accident. And it kind of did inspire me quite a lot with Sunset, um, just complete chance, um, which is something that is very particular. It's a very, very particular type of grief because it's just so unfair. Mm -hmm and instant, um, which is exactly what happened to us. So yeah, I do kind of try and find those kind of stories that I can relate to. So yeah, really, really, sorry, they're both death heavy. No, they're okay, really great another tips. One, not death heavy. Another yeah. one that's really good and really quite like also inspiring for me with Sunset was um, The Year of Rest and Relaxation. Oh yes, I haven't read it yet. I've been meaning to for so long. It's really fun. It's really, it's just like quite light. It's about a woman who just decides she's going to sleep for a year mm. just to that get away. It sounds incredible. It does sound incredible, but it's really, you think, oh, she must be like very, very depressed or something. But actually she just decided, okay, I want to change my life. I need a year to sleep. And she goes about it really pragmatically and decides, right, once this year's up, I'm going to find my way. And it's about what happens in the meantime. It's really good. But again, I can see some parallels with, your novel as well in terms of somebody just sort of being like i guess i'm doing this and eventually yeah. hopefully i'll work it out we're doing what you need to get by mm. when you're in a pit of despair just doing what you need and even if it's bad and even if people judge you for it or think that you're <laughs> morally corrupt it, it if it got you by then you know do it mm. Not saying do drugs and like you know kill people, but <laughs> you know do certain things if you need to. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Like, thank you. I'm, I'm so excited for the book to come out, and like, thanks as well for just being so open and talking about it and talking about how you write and stuff like that as well. Oh, thank you so much.
thank you no thanks so, thanks so much for joining us and the, the book is out as you said in uh in june do we know what yeah. date it is in june 24th 24th of june um and also I should mention that we we talked to kit devon about uh about six months ago didn't we yeah, where we, we did. oh my god i've got to listen to that one i really really enjoy this podcast by the way Oh, and I, you're really really inspiring for um patreon too because i'm like i've been doing patreon now for a year and it's just such a nice community and when you see people yeah. doing it really nicely it makes you just feel like oh good i'm part of a nice club oh, that's that are nice. doing it too yeah it's really it's really well done so thank you no thank, thank you. you and i and d just despite your prostration i'm going to read the book whether you like it or not. <laughs> i'm going to go yeah so uh, so there um thank you Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our Patreon supporters, of course. Patreon.com slash Bookshambles is where you can go to join them. Rate and review five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. That really helps us out. As does telling all your friends uh, in real life uh, over Zoom, presumably, is most of how you're seeing people in real life these days, or on your social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, which is a thing, apparently back next week with a new episode until then take care stay safe and we will see you soon bye this podcast is part of the cosmic shambles network josie robbins book shambles was produced by trent burton of trunkman productions